The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Next on Life Today, Country Music Hall of Famer Charlie Daniels shares inside stories reflecting back to the beginning of his career and his faith journey. Went into a rehearsal studio and I had this line in my mind, the devil went down to Georgia. I don't know where it came from, it just did. I had it there and we went and <laughs> sat down and started, you know, drummer played this, piano player played that, and, and I went off and wrote lyrics to it and came back and we put the song together. And as I say, the rest is history. <laughs> It's just a joy to have you join us on Life Today. I'm James Robinson. Betty and I are thrilled to have you watching and, and our guests. And Charlie Daniels, is just, he's an amazing person. You know, this is just a, this is just a fabulous picture of a fabulous guy. And, and, and this is his memoir. And he says here, never look at the empty seats. And we got, we got to try to grasp uh, what, he, what he wants us to get out of that. And the chapters in here could not, I have never seen so many chapters in a book. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, I'm looking, let me go over here and say chapter 63. You say, I'm gonna read a book of 63 chapters. Most of them are two and three pages, so you can have it. There's a few of them that are a little longer. And we're gonna talk about one of the chapters. This is chapter 40, but by the way, there's not a dull chapter in here. And the titles of the chapter, and I asked him, did, did somebody help you do this, Charlie? He said, no, I just, just did it, just wrote it, I wrote it all, it's just, there it is. I said, it's a miracle. I mean, man, the guy can flat write. But here's the chapter. Heart of my heart, rock of my soul, you changed my life when you took control. Some of you think that must have been when he got married. Well, <laughs> and we're going to find out exactly what it is. Would you welcome Charlie Daniels to life today? You know, I, I, I got to just tell you, when I found out, and you've you, you been blessed, so you sent some really nice checks to Live Outreach, and you signed your name. It wasn't any anonymous name. It wasn't, you know, fake stuff. And you helped us do what God's put on our heart. Uh, can I just ask you up front, how long ago do you think you started helping us? Can you, you know, I really don't know, but I was I was tuned in. You were doing the uh, segment on building the wells, or d digging the wells, mm -hmm. I guess I should say, over in uh, in Africa. Right. And, you know, it's just it, we take clean water for granted. Yes. We don't even think about it. We mm -hmm. go turn the tap on, and, and we've got plenty to drink, plenty to bathe in and everything. And to think about somebody that don't even have water to drink. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty... Or if they have it, it's so filthy you wouldn't give it to yeah, an animal. Yeah, so that's a great work you're doing. I wanted to chime in a little bit on it, so... Well, it means a lot to us that you do it, and our viewers are the most amazing people. And I've told you this, it's not just trying to be, you know, flattery to, you know, pump you up. It's to let you know that your sensitivity to God and to others, and then your willingness to share what God has enabled you to enjoy, to oversee, and then meet needs. Thank you for doing it. Charlie, you talk about never look at the empty seats, uh -huh. and I want you just to kind of tell us about anything you want us to hear in this incredible book. 
because, I mean, you are truly gifted. I mean, Tom Selleck, Dolly Parton, Sean Hannity, all talking about how awesome you are, like they never did anything. I mean, <laughs> you just really something. But you are. You, you're, you're an amazing. But what do you mean by never look at the empty seats? Well, it's, uh, it's kind of like a play on the old adage of accentuate the positive. When you're a young musician and you want to make it, and I did, I was very serious about it, you're going to play anywhere you can for anybody who's there for anything they'll give you. So, you know, you're going to have a lot of empty seats because nobody knows who you are. A few people come out of curiosity or maybe they've heard one record on the radio or something. So you're going to walk in, you're going to have maybe half house, maybe a third of a house or whatever, but you cannot look, let, let the empty seats dominate what you're thinking because you go in, if you say, well, I'm, I'm just going to slough off tonight, you know, because we don't have a big crowd. You're cheating them, you're cheating yourself because you not never look at the empty seats. You're concerned with the seats that are full. And if you will address yourself to them and give a better, the best show you possibly can every night, the next time you go back to town, they're very apt to come back and bring somebody else with them. So you build a following that way. And longevity was always one of my aims. I tried to, to, to do building blocks with my career where I could be around for a long time. And after almost 60 years, I think it's gonna work. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you when you started? I, st I cut the apron strings. I was playing semi-professional before, but I cut the apron strings in 1958. Okay. And I was, uh, well, I would have been 22 years old. How old are you now? I am, I'll be 81 the 28th of this month. <laughs> 81 years old, Charlie. Well, Jim, I'm, I don't think it's funny. No, <laughs> no it's great. You, you, you know, my goodness, I'm 74. Uh, I'm chasing you. I, I listen, uh, you taught yourself. Uh -huh. You didn't take music lessons. No. No. How in the world do you do that? You know, I went up to a friend of mine's house one one day. I had known him for a long time. I had no idea he had a guitar. And I, I, I don't know where he had it stuck back in a closet somewhere, I guess, and just pulled it out one day. And I went up there, and he was playing it. He knew about literally two and a half chords. He could play G and C. And if he took really put his fingers on it, he could play D. And I said, you got to teach me. I've always wanted. Here's my best friend playing a guitar. So anyway, long story short, he taught me what he knew. And we started bugging anybody we could find that knew one more chord than we did. You know, we'd watch <laughs> and, and, and so anyway, I learned three chords. There's a chapter in that book called Three Chords That Changed My Life. And when I learned three chords, you could play a whole song with three chords. <laughs> and it's about the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I mean, did you make up the songs? Or you no, I was play playing I was, I was playing other people's songs, you know, <laughs> yeah. but there's country songs. There's a lot of country songs that just got three chords in them. So I could play all kinds of stuff. And I, I just... I just went nuts over it. I was ruined from that moment on. That's all I ever really wanted to do. I did a lot of things before I finally got around to making a living, playing music, but that's all I really wanted to do. That's all I want to do now. Did you get discouraged, though, at times and say, well, I need to learn to do something else? Or you know, you moved I, over to her country town now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, she I am country. You done got this girl go country. <laughs> I never really did because I loved what I do. I love, I love entertaining people. Now, when I first started playing this old guitar, it was an old Stella guitar. The strings had probably never been changed on it. The neck was about the size of a half a fence post, you know, and you can imagine somebody never played before trying to learn to play on that thing and, and trying to get your fingers going. And your fingers get sore. And you think, oh, I don't think. And you just keep playing. You get those calluses on the end of your fingers. And you play. But I never, I never really could seriously consider giving it up at all.
I had nowhere else to go. I had nothing else I wanted to do. That was when did it. you get to fiddle and start fiddling with the fiddle? I started fiddling with the fiddle. <laughs> Is that one of the chapters, fiddling with the fiddle? <laughs> I wish I'd have thought of that. <laughs> Should have called me. fun. Next time I write, I'll give you a call. We'll do a research. Uh, I started playing mandolin a little bit, and the fingerboard on mandolin and the fiddle are the same. The, the, you, of course, you pick one, you bow the other. And when... Uh, after I'd been playing mandolin for probably a year or so, somebody showed up with a fiddle one day, and I had to get my hands on it, and I started all over again. And I squeaked and squawked. One of the kids I went to school with said, when I played the fiddle, it sounded like somebody stepped on a cat. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine my parents putting up with that? Yeah. And I'm sitting in the bedroom going, <laughs> you know, because it's a tough instrument to learn, especially if you don't take lessons. And, I did, I, and because of that, I hold the fiddle wrong. I hold the bow wrong, and I press too hard on the on the fiddle bow, which gives me my sound. Hmm. I sound a little bit different. Uh, it's not a good different. I don't mean it like that, but it's a little bit different. From Did you have to have lessons to learn how to talk kind of like a country singer? Never had to have no lessons to learn how to talk country. <laughs> <laughs> and I ain't taking none. Let me, let, me, let me ask you this. What in your, all of your entertainment, uh -huh. what's the most fond memory? I mean, what, what, what you just... Just love to remember. You know, I have so many of those, but I remember one night, we do a show in Nashville called the Volunteer Jam. When mm -hmm. We've done it, we started 42 years ago. <laughs> and it's on, a, it was on a Saturday night, and I was on stage, and I looked over to my left, and Roy Acuff, Mm -hmm. who was one of my all-time heroes that I've been listening to all my life. And here's Saturday night, he was at the Opry, and he had come in between shows at the Opry because he knew it would just tear me up. <laughs> so I said, you got to come out here. Come on out. So he came out, and we did, I forget, take the night train to Memphis and a few things. But it was like, I mean, this is like somebody walking into a dream, like your fondest dream. When I was a kid, and I listened to Grand Ole Opry and Roy Acuff, and all those guys were such heroes of mine. And to imagine myself in Nashville, Tennessee, standing on the stage on a Saturday night singing Roy Acuff, singing Night Train to Memphis. I mean, that was that. that's the stuff dreams are really made out of, you know. You and I have talked about it, mutual friends, Johnny Cash. Mm -hmm. What did you think of him? Johnny Cash was a great man, a truly great man, inside, so outside. Too. You know, he, well, he you was were, a miracle changed man. Oh, yes. You, you were around him. When he walked in the room, he just dominated the room. I mean, you could you had His to look His hand was way. so big, yeah. it was like yeah. shaking somebody's yeah. knee. Yeah. <laughs> Never thought about that, but <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> had to find something real big. Yeah. Yeah. But you also with uh, Glenn Campbell. Randy Travis has been here a lot. He's been here since the stroke. He's getting better. Yeah. Getting better and better. better. Yeah. We all praying for him, loving him. But you know, we just thank God for, there's something about country music and country singers. I mean, they have some pretty crazy songs, you know, they write some pretty extreme lyrics, but there seems to be an Americana, there seems to be something about them that it just causes you to have a sense of pride a little bit like you have in the military. Do you yeah. sense that about them? Yeah, you know, the, the country music community is a great community. We we had a, in Nashville, I'm sure you're aware of it, about, I guess, about five years ago, now, a huge flood. They called it the Thousand Years Flood. It flooded the whole Opry House. It flooded the Opryland Complex, the hotel, everything. And people, we had... 13 inches of rain in two days, and it just knocked people out of their houses and stuff. This community came together and 
perfect strangers took people into their homes. Of course, the donations for, you know, for helping people along and everything. But it's such a great they community. That, to me, they're it, that kind of people. Has, they it, step up. It has that feeling. That fam, family's what we're looking for. Right. Family sort of feeling. Now you, you wrote a song about the devil going somewhere. He don't come here. Just tell me about that little deal. Well, you know, it's called Devil Went Down to Georgia, and yeah. I wrote it. Uh, we, it's kind of a. It sounds like it ought to be a fun song to have into a story, but it's pretty mundane, simple sort of story. We had done an album, written and re and rehearsed an album's worth of material for, for an album, and we went to the studio and started recording, and we didn't have a fiddle tune. And we said, we need a fiddle tune, so we took a break, went into a rehearsal studio, and I had this line in my mind, the devil went down to Georgia. I don't know where it came from. It just did. I had it there, and we went in and <laughs> sat down and started, you know, drummer played this, piano player played that, and, and I went off and wrote the lyrics to it and came back, and we put the song together, and as I say, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about this chapter 40. Okay. Heart of my heart, rock of my soul. It changed my life when you took control. Tell us about it. That is actually a line out of a song I wrote called Heart of My Heart. It's where, the, where, where that came from. But what I that is a chapter about my faith. I was raised in a Christian family, and all my life I heard Jesus died for your sins. I believed it, but I didn't know how it applied to my life. And of course, when you're real little, you don't, you don't question. And as you get older, you think, well, how's, how's this supposed to work? And then I got to into, uh, all I heard was condemnation. I didn't hear about the love and the, and, 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 and the, the forgiveness. And I got the opinion that the most mundane of human actions that some people deem to be sins, that you, lost, you, you lose your salvation. You get saved, you go out and you do something that it's off color or something and you lose your salvation and, it, and I did it and I did it and I did it and I just it just I finally got to the point I said I can't do this I just walked away from it I didn't quit believing I always believed never quit believing in God never quit believing that Jesus Christ is the son of God but I just didn't understand it and I decided I'm going to take my Bible I'm going to sit down and read it I'm going to take my opinion and other people's opinions who I respect, people that I know speak the truth that I can read about, and I'm going to I'm going to define my salvation. And it all goes back to Romans 10. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Now, what we we don't need to start adding stuff onto that. You know, we don't need to preface it with something or to, to put something on the end of it or on either side of it. It's, stand, it's a standalone phrase. And to me, the hardest thing about salvation is the simplicity of it. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. We can't get it. We don't have to go through a certain situation to uh, be with a certain person or in a certain place or have a certain set of, certain set of circumstances to, to receive it. And it's just that simplicity that we try to, we, we constantly try to expand on and we try to make more out of it than what it is. And it comes all down, you believe it, you believe it. You believe that God could love us so much. That's the wonder to me. It is. That, that, that God could, could, could love us that much and he could send his son. I know how I love my son. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I, I, my love cannot even approach God's love. 
to think that he sent his son to die for us. His only son. And his only son to die mm -hmm. for us. You just explained theologically more important truth than a lot of preachers have in years. A lot of times they can preach you right into total confusion. That's what he's talking about. And Christians sometimes, you know, when Robert Duvall came and asked me to help him with the film The Apostle, he said, I want to kind of have fun with Christians. He said, you know, they're kind of funny. He said, what they do is funny. We're going to have some fun. And he did. But he made that great close talking about the love of God and talking about how much God loves us. Just what you said, Charlie. He gave his only son something we couldn't do. You just said it. I couldn't, couldn't give my son. And, and he said, he, in the movie, he said, I, could, I couldn't take this little baby and offer this baby and put nails in his hands. I don't love you that much. But God does. God does. He gave his son for you. And I really hope all of you realize that, that this guy that's a talented musician that taught himself and, and has a gratitude for what God's allowed him to experience and then found out that there wasn't a thing he could do to lose it or get it. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. I mean, Charlie's book is, is phenomenal. You know, these chapters, you, you could actually skip all over the place from chapter to chapter and have fun, <laughs> but then you'd want to come back and read the ones you skipped because they're just as fun. And they're going to be inspirational. I really pray you get the book. I hope you pray for Charlie. I pray he gets another 30 or 40 years. I'll have him back here another 20 or 30. We've we'll <laughs> we got another day right? for 10 years from now. We've <laughs> yeah. we we already got a day set 10 years from now. Here, here's the deal. You, you know, we're here on life today because we love you. Betty and I never have looked for something to do. I mean, I've traveled to the ends of the earth. And I mean, you know, we have, have gone into places angels fear to tread. We've marched into hell for a heavenly cause. And I'm so we don't look for something to do. You say, well then why are you here? Why do you come in our home? Because God loves you and he wants to love through you. And you know, Charlie, when you saw what we were doing and years ago, you said, I want to help them do it. That's what viewers do. And listen, that's what I need right now. Every single one of you, every one of you who are watching, I want you to help us totally change someone's life. And I'll never remember this. You know, we're, we're coming to the end of the year. And this is a time when people may year in gifts. I mean, this is an important time. And I'm just asking you right now, you ask God, what he wants you to do? Would you do that? but watch closely and prayerfully. We're here in this village where they've really been suffering with bad drought. They've had no real rain here in the last year. You can just see how dry everything is. This is an area where they would normally plant crops, but there are no crops being planted here. There's no food. There's also no life. In Southern Africa, Drought and famine have deprived entire villages of food. For the mothers of children in these areas, their only way of life is to plan for death. Grave, off to grave, off to grave. For children who have a name, children who mean the world to their mothers and to their families, children who don't deserve to die simply because their village was ravaged by drought, because they didn't have mission feeding. You see, we can stop children from filling these graves. We can bring the cycle of death to an end if we just act. 
You say, but what do I do? How do I stop children from dying? This is how you do it. You open your heart, you give out of what you have, you give the best gift that you can give, you give mission feeding, you give life, life in the form of a bowl of food that not only fills a stomach, but empties a grave. Please, do it for the mother that doesn't want to lose another child. Do it for the children that don't deserve to die. Well, I'm so grateful for Isak, and I know what that's like to be there because I've been there too many times. And I've watched too many of these little graves dug right around somebody's little grass hut where they bury family members. And so often the graves are tiny. You know, Betty, I was thinking because we had a daughter fight for her life and lose the battle to cancer. A mother of three beautiful teenagers. And I know you care and you know how much that moves us. Only the miracle of God's grace can sustain us and even enable us to, to bear up. But here's what I want to, point I want to make. Let's just say somebody had a child near you that had a problem, a disease. And in your hand, you had not a hope, but the absolute perfect cure. Let's just say you'd heard about our Robin and Betty and I were there with her. And you were just up the way. And you knew you had in your hand exactly what would make our daughter well. Would you know, I'm, I'm gonna tell you something. I, I think you, would, you wouldn't even care if you could get in a car, you'd run. You'd run in the room with us or anyone that was fighting to save their child. And you'd say, here, here it is. It's not hope, it's absolute. It's guaranteed, it's a miracle. Well, I'm telling you, and I'm not exaggerating. We're talking about a miracle as simple as just giving food. Just giving food. It'll work and it'll take a child so near death little body so emaciated, so thin, and a miracle occur. I'll never forget Beth Moore praying so hard over that little boy and Peter having to say to her, Beth, this one's not going to, uh, he's not going to make it. And Beth Moore went back, she prayed over that child and went back and played soccer with that little boy two years later. It's a miracle. But you know why the miracle occurred? Because somebody watching didn't just pray. They took what was in their hand and they gave. So here's what I'm asking you to do. Help us upgrade the food factory. I pray you'll be one of 216 people who give $1,000. There's some of you here as we've got year-end giving coming up. Great opportunity. I'm telling you, you can make a gift. And this is our last week right here for the support before mission feeding and this emphasis comes to a conclusion. So we need a miracle. I'm praying for it. If you could help us feed three, five, or 10 children, listen, 30, 50, 100. There is not one gift too small. This may be your first time to ever do this. It may be that you've done it before, recently, but I'm gonna do it today because we're praying for a miracle. But whatever God's leading you to do, you call the number, go on the website, take a bank card, use it like a check, Make the gift God puts on your heart. If you want to write a check, make it to life. But call us and tell us you're putting it in the mail. This last week, this year in gift, whatever, 
And Father, I'm praying for the greatest outpouring of love we've ever witnessed. I pray that. There'd not be one person that would say, I have in my hand the miracle you must have in Jesus' name. And remember, that miracle is born in love, bathed in love, carried and delivered by love. Because those missionaries are full of love. Thank you right now for calling. Thank you for going online. Thank you for putting that gift in the mail. But call us and tell us what you're mailing. And may God richly bless you because you just blessed somebody big time. In impoverished and famine-stricken areas of Africa, children are suffering. The need is great, and without food, they face death by starvation. With your support, you will help feed and care for children in crisis areas of Sudan, Angola, and Mozambique. With Africa facing ongoing food shortages and drought, we urgently need to replenish supplies and come to the aid of 400,000 children counting on us. Your life-saving gift of 30, 50, or $100 will help feed and care for three, five, or 10 children for the next three months. Please also consider an additional gift to help provide critically needed upgrades to our food factory that will increase overall production by a staggering 50%. This is a $216,000 challenge above our normal feeding budget that could help save even more lives. With your gift of any amount, we'll send you in the middle of the mess in her new book, Sheila Walsh brings insight to knowing the peace and presence of Christ in the midst of life's inevitable messes. With your gift of $100 or more to help feed and care for 10 children, we'll send you Sheila's book, plus the Arise Coffee Mug. This heat-activated mug reveals Isaiah 61 each time you fill it with a warm beverage, a wonderful way to begin your day. And finally, with your gift of $1,000 or more to help feed and care for 100 children, be sure to request our Determined Eagle Bronze Sculpture. This is the last week. Please call, write, or make your gift online. You know, I'm, I'm really praying that we'll, we'll see some just tremendous, what we might call year-end gifts. Um, I mean, this, this is an important time. If you could help us with the uh, upgrade of the food factory, do it. Make, make, make just the gift God puts on your heart. And uh, we are sending you Sheila's book, the beautiful cup. Send the beautiful bronze if you'll you know, really step up and help us with the food factory upgrade. But if you say, James, I know I can get it in the bookstores. I know I can go online and get it. But if I help you, help the children, would you send us Charlie's book? You bet. And uh, you will love reading every one of those chapters, the short ones, the long ones. If you didn't do anything but go through and read the titles of the chapters, you'd get blessed <laughs> because the titles themselves are inspiring. That's, that's why he put them on there. They, they moved him. And he has a way with words. He's not only a gifted musician, he's a gifted communicator. Now, come to find out, he's a gifted writer. Would you join us? And thanks to Charlie Daniels for being with us. Charlie, thanks for your help, too. You've got that 10-year date now. You got and it. And you can come back sooner, too. Okay. <laughs> Thank all of you for watching life today. Thanks for helping us.
And the right question is, who are we being asked to relinquish our lives to? Learning to trust God in a complete surrender, tomorrow. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.